So, um, in chapter 4 of 1 John, there were several things, and uh, we talked a lot about love. Dad last week made the case that uh, 1 John 4 should be the real love chapter. We've talked about uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as being the love chapter, and it's so sweet. Um, but uh, the word love is mentioned way more many times in 1 John 4, and you're going to see that that's going to continue into uh, chapter 5. And we've also talked about that 1 John is somewhat circular, that he continues to revisit topics. Uh, he goes around, he talks about um, our behavior, he talks about our connection with God. He, in chapter 4, he talked about how we love each other, and uh, he continues to circle back and to talk about those things. If you didn't know any better, you would think he thought they were important. And he would also probably have observed that uh, many times humans need to hear things more than once. And, uh, and I'm certainly in that category. In chapter 5, he's going to bring a lot of these things together. And um, we're going to break it up. I, as I went through this, um, verses uh, 1 through 12 somewhat go together, but it seemed like a lot to really go through. So we're going to uh, do it in, uh, from um, uh, probably just the first five verses or so. Uh, and selfishly, I did that because I knew I'd be running sound. And I knew I'd be coming in here late and that I might have to leave early. So there you go. Full disclaimers. Verse 1, 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. If you believe in Jesus, he's saying, you are God's children. And it's just natural that you're going to love God and you're going to love his other children. Um, it makes sense. Now, is that always the case? No. But that's the way it should be, right? So let's look at this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is a Christ has been born of God. So here we have in this first verse uh, the essence of the gospel, right? It involves faith. It involves belief. And not just random belief. There are a lot of people, people that believe things, right? We were talking about the coexist bumper sticker. Some people believe everything. Uh, but this says we can't just believe in anything. It says that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. There's a title there, Jesus not just that Jesus was a good guy, not Jesus a good rabbi, not even Jesus the Messiah to the Jews, but Jesus the Christ, the, the king, the one who's going to make it all right, uh, the ultimate everything, Jesus is the Christ. That's what we believe in. Jesus the Christ has been born of God. We've talked that although what most people think of as full-on Gnostic theology had not really been developed when he wrote this. We've, we know that through the work of the Holy Spirit, John was already attacking some of the foundational beliefs that would go on to lead to Gnosticism, and one of those things was uh, to deny the physical birth of Christ. So we're, here we have just a glancing reference um, about Jesus being born of God. It says, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Here we have that same thing. So uh, in the same way, he seems to be saying in the same way that uh, Jesus 
was brought forth by God, we are also brought forth by him. Now, it's interesting, and I, you know, I learn something every time I teach. That's mainly why I teach, not because I like being in front of people. I'm, I've said before, I much prefer just like one or two of you. This is a lot. Um, <laughs> and pray for me. Uh, on behalf of the steering committee, I'm going to speak in, uh, uh, to the congregation. And it's going to be even more. So uh, that's kind of been on my mind. I haven't even wordled today. Um, it's, it's been a busy morning. Um, thank you, Cleaver. Uh, it says everyone has been born by him, uh, or born of him, rather. Uh, the word there is engendered. Uh, I did not know that, that, that the Greek word for birthing out someone was uh, engendered. And, of course, that's a, that's a loaded word nowadays, anytime you talk about that. Um, and I did some reading about that, and uh, in a very diplomatic and, you know, if you're into words and nuance and that sort of thing, a, a very nice way, though I disagree with it, but a very nice way, I found some definitions that trace the, the evolution of words and the evolution of gender and all that sort of thing. And it, it does mean something different now than it used to mean. And uh, grab me sometime, I'd be happy to talk about that. So we've been born by him. Verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. You know, he was going so well. And then he wants us to start doing stuff like obey. Especially obeying commandments, which just doesn't sound like fun. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So it's kind of... It's kind of... It's kind of um, interesting to kind of think through this. How do we know that we love the children of God? When we love God and keep his commandments. So have you ever thought that one of the best ways that you can love your fellow man in general and Christians in particular is to love God and do what he says? Have you ever thought about it like that? I had not. Uh, I would submit, though, that if we all did that, if we all loved God and kept his commandments, we would have a lot more love amongst each other, right? Uh, a lot of times I'll see people in the office and I'll get a hint that they'll make some reference that tells me that they probably are somewhat faith-minded. And then I might ask a question to see if uh, they might you know, be regular workers out of their faith. And then I want to usually find out, you know, what uh, angle they're coming from. And, and uh, they'll say something like, well, um, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian or, or whatever. And I'll say, what flavor of a Christian? Because there's so many, right? I mean, there's more than Baskin Robbins. There's lots of flavors of Christians out there. And I want to know, you know, well, are they evangelical? Are they, you know, are these Bible-believing folks? Or are these, you know, it just, it helps me to kind of connect with them and give us something to talk about. And it's also interesting uh, because sometimes you hear things that you didn't expect. Uh, I'll leave it there. I'm not sure why I chased that rabbit, but there we are. Uh, loving God and keeping his commandments and loving the children of God. It is a very good thing that we love him. And I think the point I was trying to make is that 
it would be a unifying um, process for all of us. If, because loving God and keeping his commandments, what, it, what does that look like, right? It means we're loving him, so that means we have to know him. That means we have to be in the book. We have to read the Bible and let it speak to us. It also means that we have to submit to the things that are in it, right? Keeping his commandments means that I'm taking a back seat to things that I might want to do, and I want to submit myself to what he wants to do, right? And that can be a, a very loving and unifying uh, thing. And I, I think there's just great wisdom here. And, of course, we know that by this time John was uh, John the Elder, and he was able to look at all these things. I, I think it's great. And there's another point that I'll probably remember in a moment. Verse 3. And again, this sounds kind of circular, but he says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Okay, we've kind of said that. And his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. So what does that mean? Do you ever feel like his commandments are burdensome? Well, they certainly seem to be restrictive sometimes, right? There are things we would probably want to do that we decide not to do because we know they're wrong. I mean, that's most of life is finding out we were wrong about something and, and, and not doing it again. Um, it says his commandments are not burdensome. So it comes to mind the verse, you know, what did Jesus say? You know, come to me. You know, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So there's, there's work there. But he says it's going to be light. It says his commandments are not burdensome. Now, this made me think of, you know, the verse, I'll turn to it, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which, did we do 1 Corinthians? I didn't think so. I'm surprised. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13, there's a verse that gets misquoted a lot or at least misapplied a lot or misinterpreted. So here's the verse. First uh, Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You've heard this verse, right? How is it usually paraphrased? Exactly, Pat. God won't put more on you than you can handle. That's not really what it says, though, right? <laughs> it's, it's more complicated than that, but that is usually what it says. So when, when I read this verse in 1 John where it says his commandments are not burdensome, I thought about that verse. He will not put more on you than you can handle. Um, here's, here's my take-home lesson from that which I'm not sure is also the most rigorous exegesis either. But if you're in a situation that seems like more than you can handle, then you probably shouldn't be in it. For what it's worth. I did come across, while we're on that passage, I did come across something that was, I did not really intend to talk about, but I thought was such a good quote about this verse, which I had not looked at in the past, um, or at least not like this, that I, I had to share it even though it's only tangential to what we're talking about today. It says, we fancy, 
when painful trials come, that things so painful were never felt before. But our text, that is 1 Corinthians 10.13, reminds us that there is a limit within which all human experience lies. Human ability and human endurance have their tether and cannot range very far. Here is a lesson of humility for the self-conceited. Let them remember that thousands more have been at least as good. Here is comfort for those bowed down under a sense of sinfulness. There are thousands now in heaven who have sinned as deeply as they. Here is encouragement for the tempted. Thousands have by God's grace been led safely through. So you see that this text may be useful as a medicine for two opposite spiritual diseases, presumption and despair. That is pretty good. Back to 1 John. Picking up with verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Part of that is we are motivated to keep his commandments. One of the reasons they're not burdensome is because we love the person that is telling us these things, right? Have you ever worked somewhere and really wanted your boss to do well and you saw you were part of that team and you wanted to make the whole project work, so you worked. In fact, you might have worked a little harder just because you wanted it to succeed, even if it might have been beyond your job description. So we love God, so we want to keep his commandments. The other thing is, and John, we know, talks a whole lot, as we've referenced in the Gospel of John, which came later, about the Holy Spirit. We have been equipped through the power of the Holy Spirit to keep those commandments. He's going to remind us what they were, and he's going to give us the power and the grace to keep them. So those are some reasons why they're not especially burdensome. And I would add that finally they're not burdensome because they keep us out of trouble. We would be, talk about burden. How much more burden would we be in if we just did our own stuff, right? They, they help us. Verse 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. All right, so Dad said that he, has, he doesn't really have a life first, but he has songs. So what song does, and this can be for everyone, not just mom and dad. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. What song comes to mind? All right, we got victory in Jesus, which I didn't think about, Jane. I'll, I'll, I'll accept that as an answer. And then we also have faith is the victory, right? I was going to ask if mom would play this. She probably would, but I'll just read it. Encamped along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers rise and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against the foe and veils below, let all our strength be hurled. Faith is the victory we know that overcomes the world. His banner over us is love, our sword, the word of God. We tread the road the saints above with shouts of triumph trod. By faith, they like a whirlwind's breath, 
swept on o'er every field. The faith by which they conquered death is still our shining shield. To him that overcomes the foe, white raiment shall be given. Before the angels he shall know his name confessed in heaven. Then onward from the hills of light, our hearts with love aflame will vanquish all the hosts of night in Jesus' conquered name. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. That's a pretty good one, right? And I never knew it came from the Bible, first of all. (laughs) And I I didn't know it came from 1 John 4. But as soon as I read that, uh, it popped in my head. and, And I'm sure it did yours as well. Verse 5, which picks up this concept of overcoming. Who is it that overcomes the world except the ones that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Um, Who can overcome the world? The Christians. Lots of people are trying, right? Lots of people are trying to overcome the world. Lots of people are trying to influence us. Lots of people are trying to, perhaps with good intentions, protect us. Lots of people are trying to um, confuse us. There's just a lot going on. And it's hard to feel like an overcomer sometimes. But if you think about it, this is the heart of it. Who can overcome but a Christian? Um, And it brings it all home because it's almost like he's saying, no matter what else is out there, the best thing you could do for yourself, for your community, for even your nation and the world, is to tell them about Jesus. That is the only way that they're going to overcome whatever it is they're in the middle of. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's the whole point of all of this. Um, I found another excerpt, and I don't like to read too much of this, but but I will... uh, One um, commentator says that it's belief, not activity, that overcomes the world. It's belief, not activity, that overcomes the world. Um, I think this is the uh, biblical commentator's version of the pen is mightier than the sword. Um, The things we believe, the things we talk about, the things that yes, that we write, the things that we we say, those are the things that inspire people to do things. They inspire people to get through hard times. They inspire people to say they're sorry. They inspire people to um, do things that they wouldn't otherwise do and to hang in there when they otherwise wouldn't feel like it. Our words are powerful. And if if our words can point people to Jesus, whom they can believe in, who can give them commandments that keep them out of trouble and then uh, enhance love for the big community, then it starts to all make sense. The second excerpt talks about this belief in the fact that John often pointed people to the cross. Not very popular nowadays, but 
again, like I said at the first, we don't just believe in anything. We believe in Jesus the Christ who accomplished his position by being on the cross. So here's the excerpt. It says, instead of pondering the cross of Christ, fallen creatures seek God's love and goodness elsewhere in a fallen creation. Horrible things such as the untimely death of innocence, gruesome violence, cataclysmic natural calamities, and man's humanity to man seem to weigh heavily against God's goodness or his omnipotence, all of which may cause many to doubt God's love for us. If there's no sin and no judgment of sin, then Jesus' death was a horrible farce. But John and all the other New Testament writers argue that there is no greater expression of God's love than the cross of Jesus. And to accept God's love and continue in it means embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ by acknowledging our sin, repenting of it, and living in Christ. John underscores that apart from this gospel, there is no assurance of eternal life. And he further teaches that there is no genuine love for God apart from embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ and continuing in it. I'm going to skip a section. In fact, one could argue that without John's moral vision centered in the cross, all ethical behavior would just be going through the motions. It is good to feed hungry people, but if those same people are heading toward their judgment without Christ, is it loving to give them bread but not the bread of life? Is it loving to affirm Christian brothers and sisters in their sin rather than call them to live as God has revealed in Scripture? In a religiously pluralistic society as we live in today, the greatest act of love, the sharing of God's love in Christ, is increasingly perceived as a self-righteous power play that is taboo in polite company. Jesus was sent into such a world, and as he was returning to the Father, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This call to continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in a pluralistic society increasingly hostile to the idea of exclusive spiritual truth will be the church's greatest challenge in the years to come. And I think that's true, right? Uh, People don't think you're a favor by telling them that they're a dirty, rotten sinner and they need to come to Jesus. Um, It's kind of hard to dress that up. Um, but I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, and I needed to come to Jesus. And as I said, most of life for Christians or non-Christians is you know, being confronted with the truth and acknowledging where you've messed up and, and then moving on um, and asking to be covered by the blood that he shed. That is what overcoming looks like. Verse 4, again, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. Everyone who's been born of God, those begotten of God, where he said, who are those that are born of God? It were those, like it says in verse 1, who believe that Jesus is the Christ. For everyone who's born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. There's another song that came to mind. Uh, more current. Those of you who may have back in the day watched American Idol may have come across a guy named Bandisa. 
She sings a different song, and I'll quote it too. I am certainly not going to sing like Mindy's. <laughs> Staring at a stop sign, watching people drive by T-Mac on the radio. Got so much on your mind, nothing's really going right, looking for a ray of hope. Whatever it is you may be going through, I know he's not going to let it get the best of you. You're an overcomer. Stay in the fight till the final round. You're not going under because God is holding you right now. You might be down for a moment, feeling like it's hopeless. That's when he reminds you that you're an overcomer. Everybody's been down, hit the bottom, hit the ground. You're not alone. Just take a breath and don't forget. Hang on to his promises. He wants you to know you're an overcomer. The same man, the great I am, the one who overcame death, is living inside you. So just hold tight. Fix your eyes on the one who holds your life. There's nothing he can't do. He's telling you to take a breath. Don't forget. Hang on to his promises. You're an overcomer. And I think that's true. That's all I got, y'all. Questions, comments? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can be overcomers if we believe in you and accept the work that you did for us, accept that you are the Christ. And we thank you that that is our entry into your kingdom. We are so, so grateful. Open our eyes to those who need to hear that message and be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.